0: BFF.FM
1: Well, we're driving um, driving through Wiltshire very nice countryside sky, ground, all that sort of thing natural marriage of uh, natural resources and I'm looking out the window, because I don't come from that part of the world and I said, um what's that over there? And it was sort of um that sort of low grey concrete thing. It was all surrounded by fields, really nice trees, but there was a sort of low like a sort of a large square of concrete, like the foundations of a building that hadn't been built. But it had little walls, little, about a foot high or something it would look like that. Maybe two foot high two foot high. And in fact it was a sort of the top of it was a sort of flat roof. I, I thought, oh, I see. And then um, I pointed as a car got past it. I said, uh, what, was, what was that? And the, um, the uh, country person who was with me uh, said, oh, uh, that's where they keep pigs. And I thought, oh, yes, I see. That's where they keep pigs. And the sun was shining down. And uh, the grass was green. And it was all very lovely driving the country. I suddenly uh, thought of that what that building must have been like from the inside. Biggs. Um, In there? Pigs?
2: the 1982 show on BFF.FM. I'm your host, Phil Ventura, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, the owner and operator of Pyramid Records, Bobby McColl. Welcome, Bobby. Hi. (laughs) What was that we just listened to?
3: That was Robert Wyatt um, playing pigs in there.
2: And why did you choose that show for this episode, may I ask? Um, or that, I, that song?
3: Well, it's from 1982. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really, really love Robert Wyatt. He um, was the drummer for um, The Soft Machine. And that was... Um, he kind of entered a bunch of different phases of music that all interest me. And um, for the most part, kind of kept relevant beyond his peers like he actually kind of jumped into the post-punk scene and helped with a lot of people when i think that like other folks who were in the psychedelic or classic rock era were just kind of like trying to maintain their own um you know iconic status or something he actually just ended up making really good music with a bunch of broke young people which just seemed much cooler he plays on like vivian goldman's ep um Dirty Washing, that song, Londrette. I'm not sure if you know that, but Mm. it's one of my favorite songs ever. But um, that's from 1981. Otherwise, I would have played that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you have a little more freedom than I normally allow myself. (laughs) You can play whatever you want when you're here. No, no, no.
3: It was actually really exciting to kind of get it together and just not have, um, I don't know, have that be what made the decision for me.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
3: And if, I don't know if it's playing, but there should be Robert... Robert Wyatt playing in the background right now, but can we not hear that or is it? I don't know. Well, at any rate.
2: Yeah, no, I don't hear it. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> we'll work I on that. Okay. <laughs> um, so how did you, so you just formulated your playlist based on the music that you had in your library that was from 82 and that appealed to you Kind personally. of. I
3: mean, also just um, I realized that um, that's kind of my natural era anyway.
2: Well, yeah, that's probably part of why I invited you on here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I also really like your shop and you. But.
3: <laughs> I did realize for sure that it's funny how much stuff that I like ended up being from 1981 specifically. And then it's like, oh, God, like it. it's like there is something about that time. But it is funny how you can break it down to the year, like what happens to be your particular taste. Right. But... This stuff, I really just kind of thought like who's in that time and then tried to think of songs I liked. And when it was 82, that was like, bingo. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. That's, that's like a boring detail.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So up next you have a rather, well, the whole album is sad to me, even though most of the mood of the album isn't sad. It's just like the subject matter seems really concerned with one particular death. Sure. So Yoko Ono's It's Alright, I See Rainbows album. I mean, there's some like really cheesy synth pop on there. Yeah. And yeah, yet yeah. like this, the lyrically it, and there's hopeful moments, of course, but yeah. like it's rough.
3: I can't really imagine how she doesn't just have a constant rough existence. Um, <laughs> no, to be honest though, and not to be too morbid, I think of the same thing with um, Jackie Kennedy. I can't remember if we've talked about this before, but mm-hmm. when the person that you're with is publicly murdered yeah, and then you're kind of. And those people like, especially JFK's death is actually shown yeah, and televised over and over again, that you're confronted with that death. And that's actually not just like a famous person to you. That's like your partner. Right. Yeah. And then you actually just have to kind of relive that over and over and over. And that's what everyone wants to talk to you about. You must just be like, torn Um, yeah she i'm actually and also people are just so awful about her anyway it's like they really are The fact that she gets herself out of bed and like rules every day well there's a song (laughs) on
2: there about her son trying to get her out of bed oh yeah yeah like that she doesn't want to get out of bed and her son has to like convince her
3: (laughs) it's rough crazy that's crazy but yeah i mean just to keep to keep going i always like think that like I've got it bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. She, But it's a cool
2: album because she definitely like is trying to embrace you know the synth pop that's happening yeah. around her <laughs> like in her own weird weird way.
3: But, like I, actually, incorporating just, reggae
2: and like a bunch of different stuff in there.
3: Totally. And most of that actually isn't really my taste or my speed. Um, I just think she writes songs interestingly. Yeah. And like I didn't actually get most of them at first, and even the stuff that I know love and think is like kind of a cornerstone and like my musical taste is definitely like at first it was like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> or like it takes a little it takes a second sometimes she's not
2: really for beginners that's for yeah. sure
3: i mean i guess it's also i think even the people who are in the studio recording this stuff with her i know that um sadly at one point like john lennon had to be an advocate for her to actually get the people to do like what she wanted they were like oh no no no, that's wrong like they were such like kind of um like
2: that's not the way things are done yeah
3: traditionalists without meaning to be i think they thought they were like some new new school of music but she was just like so many weird years ahead or behind she just was from a different place altogether and they couldn't yeah really get it but um it seemed that like john understood or something and convinced them no no play it like this even though you think it's wrong yeah but um, sorry, I can't believe I'm talking about John Lennon. I've brought his name up like six times. He's not <laughs> he's not who I would normally talk or think about. <laughs> We've got a whole a whole two hours okay, cool. of other
2: individuals, so that's quite all right. Cool. Um, so let's listen to uh, Speck of Dust by cool. Yoko Ono and then a couple other tracks.
3: Okay. Okay. And...
2: Did you turn the mics off?
4: Oh, yep. <laughs>
5: them up.
2: was The Day Before You Came by ABBA, Before That, Baby Lou by Leo, Nostalgia by Weekend, Deep Sleep by the B-52s, Ingenious by Antenna, and it all started with Speck of Dust by Yoko Ono. So we talked about Yoko. The one artist I really wasn't familiar with was Antenna. Oh, um, Can you tell us a bit about them?
3: They were a Belgian group, um, three teenagers who all were just kind of dabbling in like Brazilian music and electronic stuff. And what came out was just super, super cool. And they ended up inspiring a ton of what became like the new jazz thing that happened in England, which had like everything about the girl and like swing out sister and that kind of thing. And like style council, Hmm. um, like the, young people thinking they're like super sophisticated and it didn't come across as stuffy because they were young, but they were actually doing really stuffy stuff. (laughs) But, um,
2: well, but a lot of the bands incorporated like different aspects into it. Like the post-punk thing was mixed with jazz so often.
3: Yeah. 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 And most of those people had been, they came straight off of that. So I feel like it was probably an antidote to like what they had been caught up in Right. right before that.
2: I mean, Weekend, obviously, super jazz incorporated music. Yeah. Oh, my God. Music. Yeah.
3: That's all... It's funny. I, I do have, like, a soft spot. I rejected that, I think, when I was younger, because it was just, like...
2: Too easy listening.
3: Yeah. And I think... um, Yeah, it's like sometimes you just come full circle, and it's like... Or maybe I'm just old enough to, to listen to easy listening now, <laughs> where I just needed, like, louder stuff when I was young, but now it's just like, okay, I'm old, but... Right. <laughs> They, I don't know, there's like, there's like youth in it or something. Absolutely. I, they were young and they were...
2: I mean, you couldn't have St. Etienne with all these other bands, yeah. you know, like, yeah, yeah. It, I don't know. But it's really, I think it's really neat that like jazz was that cool at that point.
3: Totally, totally. And it did, I mean, the fact that it came from like the back door made it interesting. Like it wasn't just straightforward. We're doing like, you know just covers of like verve song, like verve classics but yeah but there's stuff like the marine girls do a cover of like fever and like a lot of them were like trying to do that but they were kind of accidentally doing it wrong and they didn't know they were doing it wrong and that's what's so cute about it or something i think <laughs> they thought they were really like we're really getting it but i don't know
2: so we talked about the b 52s when i was 15 i owned all mm-hmm. of their albums yeah. and listened to them every single day And I remember thinking Deep Sleep was like a really sexy song.
3: I did not hear it, actually, until um, a friend of mine played it on her radio show. I mean, this is now like 15 years ago, but I grew up with the B-52s. But we had the Mesopotamia 7-inch. So it was Mesopotamia and like Throw That Beat in the Garbage Can. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have the other songs on the EP. Oh my God, so good. But then I owned the EP for years and didn't listen to it because... I forgot, one of the songs on there has a lot of Fred on it. And I'm, I've got like a... Um, I mean, throw
2: that beat in the garbage can does.
3: Yeah. <laughs> but it's got like, the girls have like this signature harmony. It's like a car alarm harmony mm-hmm. where they're kind of doing like what they choose as the harmonic line always kind of sounds a little like blary or there's like a like a kind of like horn sound mm-hmm. to it. And anytime they do that, like, I get chills because they're just, they're so cool. When they sing together, they actually sound like they're related.
2: Well, and most of that EP is them. Yeah. Which is great. I well, mean, was Nip It Base. in the Bud is like a yeah. classic Cindy track. So good.
3: I just freaked out when I heard, um, again, when it was, when I heard Deep Sleep, it was like, wait, is this like Young Marble Giants? Like, I didn't really. It's you way know, out of the cash. norm for B 52s. Totally. It's so, it's super subtle. You're used to there being some kind of like, where's my poodle? Or, <laughs> you know, like some stupid like thing thrown in. But like, and the girls usually are belting. So suddenly just right. to have them kind of sleep through this track is super cool. Yeah. But that also, again, so David Byrne. And Kate that. didn't
2: like usually get the focus in the early days either. So.
3: True. I know. Well, if you watch old videos of their performances in like punk clubs and like cafes before they even, I think were signed mm-hmm. to Island. I think it was, um, they came as like a fully formed package. They really had their thing totally down. They didn't like, they didn't have to like spruce them up to put right. them on tour. They actually like, they each did what they were doing so well. And at that point, Kate was mainly just handling like synths and playing guitar and stuff mm-hmm. and singing like a second as like second or third vocalist, but, right? Um, if you watch them do like dance this mess around, there are times where like Kate and Cindy's voice are so similar that you don't necessarily even think that. Um, maybe you think it's all Cindy in those years, and it's like,
2: well, I mean, I'm the kind
3: of yeah. super freak. Uh, I can uh, always I tell. It's true. <laughs> I just love their for them. I love when families like sing together because their voices naturally blend because mm-hmm. they're from the same. Right. right gene pool but then when people find each other in the outside world and can sing like their family members and like they've got the same voice but maybe like a half step half step up like Mm -hmm. abba does that right um um, like stereolab yeah tisha and mary sang like they were sisters but they weren't related but their voices had some kind of like kinship or something for sure i just said kinship (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, I love them. I love the B-52s. I don't mean to make fun of Fred, but I think they're kind of at their best for my taste when he kind of steps back. And like I, I just definitely like the songs where it's focused on Kate and Cindy. But David Byrne produced that. They were supposed to do a whole album. Yeah. Um, and the bummer is that... Um, I guess he hadn't slept in like three months because he was well, doing he, Yeah, he was doing a, a soundtrack the at the same really. time. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and he, they
2: were having arguments with him about the direction, I guess.
3: Yeah. I know. He was making it sound. I mean, you can. If you listen to Mesopotamia, the song, I mean, that song is also super unusual for the B 52s, but the production is super talking heads and it's super I, like Brian Eno. I maybe. love
2: the production on that whole EP.
3: That song, Mesopotamia, is one of the. I mean it may be the first song I actually remember hearing period in my life it had such what oh God yeah yeah we had that again i'm I'm like I grew up my sisters listened to that obsessively and my brother um and I was like born into their record collection <laughs> so like by the time I was like hearing things and like absorbing what I was hearing that was definitely like what they were into and they'd play things to death like they and but like that's what I do too I don't know
2: yeah well especially i don't know when we were
3: younger yeah oh no i still (laughs) do it i like it's so sad i have a store i've got like thousands of songs i could be listening to and listening to on any given day and i tend to just pick up the needle and listen to like the same b of this same album over and over again and i I always snap back to like the same records too anytime i'm in a rut i kind of go back to like the ones that i obsessed over in high school yeah and then i sometimes it will like i think i think i'm superstitious about it i just think like i'm gonna start over again start it like square one and then maybe this will take me to a different square two <laughs> and like shoot me in a different trajectory but i think that that's nonsense <laughs>
2: <laughs> well i can't judge you i've been listening to um heaven or las vegas by the cock twins like all week long so oh, no it's perfect that yeah. actually
3: i went through a solid like three years that ended maybe like two months ago where i kind of only listened to that yeah and the b-sides that went with it oh
2: the b-sides are so good
3: i really that's another one i rejected it when it came out because it sounded um it didn't sound like the 90s and i didn't realize that that's a good thing yeah but in the 90s it was like what what is this yeah anyway yeah
2: so let's see who haven't we talked about in that set leo leo portuguese french
3: ingenue yeah she also um was belgian but was um i think her parents were portuguese she was born in belgium and became a french pop star in like the post-punk phase but also kind of like in the same like bow wow wow thing she was like i think like 15 and yeah were, like selling her as like a sex kitten kind of thing right she... she had like an
2: oversized shirt and like no pants yeah <laughs>
3: <laughs> but she's so cool she's so cool and um all her songs were so good. The first album, I think it's just called Leo. Yeah, um, I can listen to that and just start it over and over and over. The album that this was from was a strange one. It was only released in Canada. It's called Sweet Sixteen, and they had her re-record most of the hits from the first album in English. Yeah, and but the um, the lyrics were all translated by. Um, the male brothers from sparks and so i don't know if you ever listen to sparks but not um, a lot i really only listen to like kimono my house but um they it's so strange you suddenly realize that a lot of the melodies were kind of perfect for them to fit their lyrics into hmm. and um it works some of it's a little bit stupid but like but it's it's its own album and it's cool but they tacked on maybe six new songs that were all kind of singles that Um, They just threw into the end of the English language album. And that song, Baby Lou, was a Serge Gainsbourg song that Jane Birkin had had a hit with. But Jane's version was like really upbeat and kind of awkwardly like synth jazz kind of thing. And then Mm -hmm. Leo slowed it down. There's a really great TV performance of her doing it. And she was debuting a new short haircut. <laughs> and again, I think wearing a sweater and no pants. But like, she's, right. she looks sophisticated. <laughs> Speaking of
2: TV, the B-52s were on, I forget if it's Days of Our Lives, one of the day's oh, yeah. soap operas totally. in 82. Doing, doing Throw That Beat in the Garbage Can. Oh, I thought
3: they did like Private Idaho or something. They did both. Okay, They did two yeah. performances. Crazy.
2: Yeah. You can see it on YouTube.
3: Yeah, that's bonkers. <laughs> Weird TV appearances like rip rig and panic were on um yeah the young ones that's actually how i found them because i was looking up jennifer saunders who ended up from like absolutely fabulous and all that she used to appear because i think her husband was on that show and he was like the producer of ab fab or something but um she was on that episode and then suddenly rip rig and panic is just like playing i know it's wild it's also like
2: it's wild how open the uk was to kind of really experimental jazz post-punk like it was all over like pig bag had enormous hit in 82 like that's so weird
3: and that's where i mean ripper can panic nana cherry her dad well her stepdad um was don cherry and he used to play with them and it's like he's another one i think don cherry was cool like robert wyatt where it's like they (laughs) maybe it's just that they were like true like free kippies and like just kind of like opened their mind to the point they couldn't close it again. <laughs> yeah. So they just had to stick with like experimental music. But I feel like as a lot of people mellowed and you watch people like Peter Gabriel kind of turn into who Peter Gabriel became Robert Wyatt, I think just stayed so cool. Mm. I don't know. He's still like everything he does. I'm just like, I'm I'm crazy about.
2: I so the what? last, the last people on our list are the legendary ABBA.
3: Oh my God. I love that. And of course, so
2: Frida put out her solo album, yep. her first English language solo album yep. in '82, which was produced by Phil Collins, Phil Collins and had the enormous hit.
3: That was another song I remember. I guess '82 was really when I started. Like my ears were opening up. I was what, like four, or I, I probably was like three because I was born at the end of '78. But um, yeah, Abba. I remember when I was little, like. The winner takes it all was a big hit and i didn't realize that they were foreign like because i wasn't really good at english at that <laughs> point you know what i mean like yeah. you don't even really recognize accents as a kid sometimes because i don't never write.
2: thought about that about them until much later yeah because oh, all their maybe. songs are in english and yeah. they're pop songs so totally
3: it's... totally but now you listen you can like i mean you can hear their accent but it is well, and just the I way guess, they like, speak
2: is like awkward
3: yeah <laughs> But God, I love them so much. And their songwriting, I think, is... I mean, like, I don't know. People try to fight me. But I mean, they're just so good. They're so good. They're like professional songwriters. And it's like people who write jingles for commercials. Like, any ABBA song in the early years has, like, six parts that could all be hooks. Like, yeah. the bridges could it's be insane. hooks. insane. The verses could be hooks. They have, like, pre-hooks that are as good as the hooks. They have, like... <laughs> it's their... Oh, I just love them. And they... That like those singers too, like they're not like don't take them lightly. They're such good singers. They were professional singers before they all got together as ABBA. And um what they do with harmonies is also so crazy and what they were able to do with the two ranges of the singers is crazy. They covered so much ground. Of course, this song that we just played was actually Jess and Yeta. At this point in their career, they were barely speaking to each other. The four right. things it was two couples. They split up. It got really dark. Like, the second to last album, it's like, uh uh-oh. And, like, you can even look at the, like, the cover of the album. It's, like, brown. (laughs) It's like, oh. (laughs) And then the final album. The songs are, like, they're... You can tell that they're trying to keep it above water. But, like, there is such, like, darkness throughout that album. And then this was their final single after they had kind of like they realized they weren't doing they were albums anymore yeah. but this song i think is so cool that like weird little keyboard sound that just keeps repeating i love and the lyrics are like so weird at that point abba was about the benny and bjorn were starting to write musicals they did like um what is it chess right after and that do you know that song one night in bangkok mhm that is Benny and Bjorn. Oh, really? Or Chess. And like most of that whole soundtrack was actually meant for Frida and Agneta to sing. So there are songs, there's one called like, I Know Him So Well or something. And you can absolutely tell that they're still writing for Frida and Agneta. And they just had to find new singers because they just, they split. But Hmm. that song's cool. They also, Abba was taking themselves so seriously as writers too. And they were trying to get like, they had like pretensions of like opera. Do you know what I mean? Like that song like has this like operatic thing to it. I mean,
2: Marionette, that song is is super. Oh my God. Yeah.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I love them though. I recommend anyone who doesn't like or care about ABBA, listen to the song Eagle. It's really, really weird. And watch the video, um, not the video from the movie, ABBA the movie, but the video where it looks like they're in this like acid bleed, like video. It's like, like VHS video. Um, it's so good. I like making people like ABBA who don't like <laughs> ABBA. Because it's like, there's a million songs and there's one for you, I swear.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
3: <laughs> but there also, I I think of them like, honestly, like the Beach Boys or like the Bee Gees or the Beatles. Like those people who were just like hit factories. And it's like, my God, you have like 40 really famous songs. And then you've got yeah. another 60 that are good. And nobody even really knows them. But it's like, yeah. I, I like getting into like ABBA non-single tracks. Like, I don't listen to ABBA Gold. Like, that's like <laughs> amateur stuff. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> so
2: what do we have coming
3: up next? Um, I don't remember. Sorry, let me take a look. Well, it's,
2: I can tell you it's Kate Bush.
3: Oh, okay. So this is um, a cover of a Donovan song. Um, I heard her version first. It's the B-side of a 7-inch um, for Sat in Your Lap probably the weirdest song in the world the weirdest video in the world too but the b-side is really really beautiful and this is another one i think people who maybe are turned off by some of kate bush's more dated sounding stuff and like maybe they don't like like the dreamings too much for them or hounds of love even as like too to i don't know 80s people just seem to think she's too much of something no matter she what. definitely is she is <laughs> and it's like is that your thing but this is one of those songs that you can kind of slip into a mix and people um seem to react okay to it in my experience but um i love it and i listen to it constantly and i don't know i even on the back of the seven inch she thanks Donovan for, like, writing such a beautiful song or something. And it's like, oh, that's really sweet. It is a beautiful song. And his version is also hypnotic. But, um, yeah, that's that's where we're starting.
2: Okay, let's check it out. Lord of the Reedy River by Kate Bush. Hey That was My Faces on Fire by Felt. Before that, Je Voue Ton Amour by Section 25, Favor by The Wake, World of Dispensation by Singers and Players, The Gelfling Song by Trevor Jones, and it all started with Lord of the Reedy River by Kate Bush. If you're just joining us, this is the 1982 show on BFF.fm, and we have a special guest DJ today, Mr. Bobby McColl.
6: Hi.
2: <laughs> I'd like to take just a moment to tell our listeners about what we have going on here at best frequencies forever right now and it is our summer's sustainer drive if you like what you're hearing and you'd like to support community radio in san francisco you be- can become a bff.fm bestie you pledge a monthly donation of ten dollars or more and you basically join us and there's a lot of perks there's pins t-shirts bags uh, event invites giveaways of tickets, and we have a monthly Bestie Bash, which is a concert series curated by us along with Father Daughter Records and Take Care Tapes. It happens here at the studio uh, every third Saturday starting this month, um, so anyway, you can pledge that way. You can text BFF to 501 slash 55, or you can donate on our website, bff.fm slash bestie or you can just donate the old-fashioned way, bff.fm slash donate, and you can even just donate a particular amount. Any little thing helps. You could help this show, for instance, if you want Um, if it's your favorite, or if you have another one you want to donate to. That's it. That's me trying to convince you to part with your precious dollars. Okay. Um, can but,
3: I actually plug my friend Kelly's show that's on the same station? Of course. Thursdays, 10 to midnight, she does Diamond Shoals, and it's all... Um, tropical and exotica, which, so,
2: you know, listen, yeah. um, Wednesdays at 8 AM, listens th- Thursdays at midnight. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a lot of, there's over a hundred, uh, DJs yeah, that yeah. volunteer. We don't get paid. We just do this cause we love it.
3: I'm not getting paid. <laughs> I'm sorry.
2: Um, but there's like a huge range of music that you can enjoy here. So, uh, you can certainly find something that you're into if it isn't 1982, but I hope that it is. Yeah. Um, but back to Bobby McColl, I'm, I want to talk about the tracks we played, but first I want to talk to you about your business. You are the owner and operator of Pyramid Records. It's my favorite record shop in San Francisco. Mine too. So so let's talk (laughs) about it a bit. Yeah. It's on 24th street in the mission.
3: Yep. Um, I've lived in the mission really pretty much the whole time I've lived in San Francisco. I lived in the Castro for like a minute. But, um, yeah, I love the mission, and it's still the most mission-y part of the mission. And um, <laughs> it, it really is. You know, it hasn't turned into Valencia, and you feel like you... For, like, ten years or more, people are, like, kind of predicting that it's going that way. But it's kept this, like, nice equilibrium where it still feels like the neighborhood, and it's like... I don't know. I love that street. I love being there, and um, I love the store. The store is so small, but I... I don't want a big store.
2: Well, it's the perfect size to my mind, and I always find something I want there. Somehow, you keep getting good stuff coming in. (laughs) I don't know how you do it, but...
3: I think it's easy to keep a small store stocked with... It's kind of that, like, you don't need that much filler. Um, If it was bigger, you'd have to start bringing in just, like, all the, like, kind of dollar bin multiples and stuff. But as it stands, I get to kind of be a little bit selective um, i guess so yeah and um we still get stuff in that's not exactly my taste but that usually goes into like the cheap section <laughs> yeah i think it's actually one of those stores where if you don't like the kind of music i like you'll probably love the store because you'll find the stuff that i don't like for super cheap <laughs> like people Well, that's a problem to- for me
2: because <laughs> i like what you like <laughs>
3: I know. If you like what I like, stay away. <laughs> yeah.
2: No, I always find something and it's very reasonably priced and there's never an issue with the records. It's always in good shape.
3: Well, that's the other thing. I think sometimes people are like, wow, these are all clean. It's like they have to play or else they're not Yeah. they don't serve their purpose. These aren't just like I mean, I, I do see them as um, like objects. I love the sleeve. I love the cover art. That's Hell, yeah. what drew me to it when I was a kid but um if they don't actually play the music they're in then that's like it's useless that's yeah not, well, not totally useless but i mean yeah they have to play <laughs> <laughs> i mean you could frame it but yeah, that's about oh, it god i know that's yeah it does kind of break my heart sometimes when people come in and i realize that they're just basically gonna like toss the record because they just want the sleeve but what but i mean like i guess i've done that too i bought some records just Because of the sleeves. Some of my favorite, favorite sleeves. I don't even know what the record sounds like. I'm just like obsessed with the cover. (laughs) I don't think, I mean, you can enjoy it any way you want. And you can be superficial. That's fine. You can be deep about it. That's fine. (laughs) I'm not a cop.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, in any case, I encourage you, the listener, to visit Pyramid Records. Bobby's always there. He's very nice. I'm always there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And you're sure to find something you'd like.
3: Thanks for saying that. I think it's true, too. <laughs> so let's talk about the
2: music that we listen to. We already talked about Kate Bush. Um, You yeah. played Gelfling Song from the Dark Crystal yeah. soundtrack, which any of us that were children in the <laughs> 80s, it's one of the many um, fantasy films that traumatized us.
3: Mm-hmm. I I mean, like, it also... I mean, it, it did traumatize me a little bit, but it also, like... I, like, pretended... Like, my best friend and my brother and I would, like, play that movie like we'd pretend that we were in that You'd movie be Gelflings. all the time like, <laughs> all the time because it really I mean like the world of that movie is pretty amazing it's all like handmade like everything that you're seeing on set oh it's absolutely it's gorgeous sound stages yeah so many artists were employed to make that movie and people who do like weird art so it's like they were otherwise not employable people yeah and they got to have jobs I love Jim Henson he oh, hired yeah. so many creative people but the music, apparently they originally went with kind of like a John Williams orchestral kind of thing, mm. and then they were like, this isn't really working. It doesn't match the, so, a- the visual aesthetic. So they just went with a weird, dark, and new age. kind of... New age. Yeah, definitely. It's super new age, and then there's stuff that kind of makes sense with the idea that they're like, it's like little villages and stuff, so they've got kind of like... Almost like folky, yeah, flutes, too. yeah. <laughs> but I like that soundtrack, and my brother taped it like off the TV. He held the tape recorder up, oh, and that's how oh we my had the soundtrack God. We used to go to sleep to that when I was a kid. Wow, um, this is what we you, had to do back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, he still does that because he is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> he like, well, like everything he listens to. It's like, did you like record this through a walkie-talkie that you were playing like? into a telephone that, like, he just, oh my God. he does, like, a five-part process, which I I love, but it's, like, you know, technology happened. Yeah, <laughs> you're, like, you can
2: find this. <laughs> okay, talk to me about okay. Singers and Players.
3: That is one of those um, English dub supergroups where um, the record label On You Sound, which is um, Adrian Sherwood's, like, Pet project.
2: And he was very busy around this time. Yes. He was producing a ton of work.
3: Tons and tons. He worked again with um, Vivian Goldman, who I referenced, um, who did a single with Robert Wyatt. Um, The Singers and Players was kind of a best of. It's almost like how 4AD had this Mortal Mortal Coil. Coil. Singers and Players had members of like the Dub Syndicate and um, um, African Head Charge and. new age steppers and creation rebel and the slits and um pop group and they just made some really cool records and that's just my favorite of all of them you can hear ari up singing in the back of that song um and it's bim sherman i think singing lead on that i can't i'm terrible with names sometimes i'm selectively (laughs) good with names But yeah, I I just really love them. I got super into dub at some point in my life. I sometimes think, as you dig into like experimental or weird music, like all roads lead to dub because you can't really get weirder or spacier. Like, if spacey is your thing, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people have some preconceived notion that dub is just going to be like listening exactly to reggae,
2: to instrumental reggae. Yeah. And And that's what kept me from it for so long.
3: There is a (laughs) whole world that's like, with dub that's actually closer to like elements of like Krautrock or something where it's like studio, like eeriness. Yeah. I think that like, that's just so me. So I like dove headfirst into, especially if you want to start somewhere, I would say, um, if you're not like a reggae person and you're not coming from like the, the like reggae or soul side of it, which, um, I think, I don't know when I talk to people who don't, Deal with dub that's kind of because they don't come from those worlds the people who already come from like reggae or soul go naturally to dub but if you come from like rock or punk or something i think the the english early 80s like dub scene is a good like first step because it's mm-hmm. kind of like a natural progression from what was happening with how punk turned to post-punk and then there was so much like dub influence and even like if you listen to like the pretenders at that time and the clash and the slits and stuff they all turned like pretty like that song private life um the pretenders grace jones covered grace jones is another like good way to get into dub if you're not really because she's got like sly and robbie as her backing band right so anyway sorry that's all
2: nerdy I'm down for the nerdy. So I want to talk more about these artists, but I also want to hear more music. And we have like a half hour left. Okay. I'll I'll actually quickly just say, we The
3: Wake doing Favor and Section 25 doing a French version of Dirty Disco, which is I Want Your Love. Mm -hmm. Those are two groups that were on Factory Records and their only sin was that they weren't New Order. Um, (laughs) They're really incredible bands. And I think if, and I love New Order, but they just weren't that popular and i think once you dig into the second and third layers of some of those labels you get to really cool stuff and the wake they turned into like a twee group later on but um their first two albums i think are just so cool section 25 i'm obsessed with but this was when they were still more post-punk they got a little more new order synth kind of thing Hmm. and then what did we play Felt. felt um yeah that was just i loved that single His voice is an acquired taste. Um, I love Felt. I love Cherry Red Records. Um, I came to them because of the Marine Girls, who we'll hear later. Um, But yeah, Felt, a bunch of their records just got reissued, which is nice because those records were like 200 bucks. (laughs) Oh my God. And now they're only like 40, which is stupid. I hate when they reissue records and they're expensive. It's like, like, come on. (laughs) i know
2: i just got uh harumi hosano oh yes for 25 dollars which was wonderful
3: you know i didn't even dip my toe into those waters for this show i really should have because well next time yeah (laughs) the store is very much about that world too so like yeah anyway
2: okay so next up we're gonna hear goblin yeah the theme to tenebrae yeah the amazing Dario Argento film.
3: This song, if you actually just listen to what they're doing, there is um, one of my favorite writers and singers from the 60, Margot Guerrion, is totally active still, unlike Facebook and Instagram, and she's a total sweetheart, but she speaks about music. She's super articulate and can actually just like talk about music emotionally and technically because she studied music and she's a total genius, but Mm -hmm. she loves Goblin, and part of it is that she kind of gets that they were amazing with time like with rhythm and like odd time signatures and like throwing overlapping kind of clashing but interesting like rhythms on top of each other and still making it work like it's super super interesting anyway yeah awesome so this song is one of those an example of that where it's just like i hadn't even noticed how hard it would be to actually like play this song (laughs) yeah anyway
2: Let's give it a listen.
7: Cool.
8: <laughs> in the making
2: That was Think That It Might by Altered Images, before that Say You Do by Janet Jackson, Falling in Love Again by Klaus Nomi, Goodbye Joe by Tracy Thorne, and The Tenebrae Theme by Goblin. We're nearing the end of our program. I want to thank you so much, dear listener, for being with us this week on the 1982 show on BFF.FM, and especially I have to thank Bobby McColl. Our special guest DJ today, Ooh. who brought us so much wonderful music to listen to.
3: Thanks for having me.
2: My pleasure.
3: This is like an ideal show for me, I feel like. <laughs> it is like my time of interest. Yeah. And the fact that it's like a little OCD that it's like, <laughs> there's like a guideline. It's like, it makes it a game. That's cool. Definitely.
2: Definitely. Well, we have just a couple minutes. Do you want to talk at all about the music that you just played or yeah, the song great. you will be playing?
3: Tracy <laughs> Thorne, who I worship, um, she was the singer for Everything But The Girl. Mm-hmm. We, I think all know their huge hit, Missing. But she has a total legitimate background. She was on Cherry Red Records with the Marine Girls, who um, made two incredible albums. They're like super lo-fi in the post-punk era, but they just are like... Like teenage girls who were just really really good songwriters and like had really cute style um but that was from her solo album she did a single and that's a cover of a monochrome set song goodbye joe um um what else did we play klaus nomi i just i don't know 1982 i feel like if i didn't play klaus nomi i'd be weird <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah, if you don't know him, look him up. There's too much to say about him for me to just say on the radio. But We've he's... played him
2: on the on the show before oh, I'm sure. um, okay. and talked about him. But yeah, no. so him. talented, obviously, and such a freak.
3: I love him. I love him. Yeah. Um, Janet Jackson. Say so You Do. that? Actually, that song is kind of new to me. I heard it. Um, Bus Station John played it at like Tube Steak or something. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it wait, wait this is him. Janet and this... We were just saying while it was playing, this is, it was obviously the record company was like, somebody write Don't Stop Till You Get Enough for Janet. And like, <laughs> they were, and it's a couple of years after, but it's we like. We need
2: to make her happen. Yeah, no, but I mean. But it's she was like, on a different label than him.
3: Yeah, but it was the exact same song, right. really. It, like, as far as the music goes, you can sing Don't Stop Till You Get Enough on top of that song, but it's so good. And like, having it come on on a dance floor like sometimes i don't know the dance floor is like the best place sometimes to discover a good song absolutely where you're just like losing your mind to but hear it differently totally totally yeah. and to hear it loud and to like be in the zone you know? Tot- absolutely <laughs> i also another dance floor freak out thing is um i wish people would play this i play it when i when i dj but um we heard altered images think that it might and i think most people just play like one of a handful of their songs yeah and they're all good Um, but I love that one that I think that might sound really good on a dance floor and it also has like a weird sweeping feeling to it so you can kind of get carried away. Claire Grogan I think is the singer and her voice sounds so much like Nusha Fox from the 70s if you've ever listened to Fox they're like I recommend them they're amazing but um, she was an actress and she was like best friends with Susie Sue and Altered Images started by touring With Susie and the Banshees, and it sounds weird.
2: That sounds super weird. Until
3: you actually if you I was having this conversation in the car the other day, we were listening to um I Could Be Happy. And although it totally sounds like like night and day, Mm -hmm. Susie had a bunch of like really kind of poppy songs. Well the structure of most of their songs was very pop. Totally, totally. And like it is funny like Susie's thought of as goth and i don't think that Susie and the man she's have a goth album well they just juju have like, oh. juju i think of as like post-punk though which is funny i think no. like they like and that album so that's my favorite of all it's their albums so good um but yeah it's funny like they they were just making whatever music they felt like and then people were labeling it right but they definitely had stuff that was in keeping with even some of the stuff that like Altered Images was Well, getting. I would
2: say Kaleidoscope, particularly. Totally. Totally. So let's talk about Christian F. Because it's our last track we're going to play. Yes.
3: And um, I think it was her only song. She was the um, the subject of that film, Christian F., um, I forgot what the subtitle is. It's like the one that David Bowie did the yes. music for. Yep. It's a true story based on, um, these teenagers who were living in Berlin by a zoo station and, um, we're all drug addicts and, and like, you know, turning tricks at like, so after she had a movie days.
2: made about her drug addiction, she put out a song.
3: Yes. she. I know. <laughs> basically she, she had a lot of, um, press from it initially started as a book. It was like a, newspaper article that then puffed out to a book then got turned into a movie and she was like a little bit of like a social celebrity for a bit mm-hmm. but kind of in the underground because right. it's not like people were inviting her to like right. white house dinners or anything like that but she was um <laughs> she ended up <laughs> dating somebody like who owned a label and they got a couple of songs together and they're so good and this is like a long edit of one of the songs and I think we'll have enough time to get through the whole thing, but... um, Let's listen to it. Yeah, so this song is called Wunderbar um, by Christian F. Thanks for having me again.